Steve and Justin use YCharts for their winning investment research. So start your free trial now. And if you purchase, mention InvestTalk and get a generous discount at YCharts.com. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99 Chart, 888 99 CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Monday uh, edition of Invest Talk 2019. And I thank you for joining us today on Invest Talk. And it is Monday. I'm Justin Klein, and I thank you for joining me today. Our daily objective here is to make you an above average investor and help you achieve whatever goals you have. Uh, and it's just like any goal you want to achieve, you want to start small. Start with the basics. Uh, and we can certainly cover the basics. We can cover the complex but ultimately, it's about what is on your mind. And we're going to provide you unbiased insights and information that hopefully will move you along step by step towards your specific goals. And I welcome your investment questions to get through to Invest Talk. All you have to do is call our anytime listener line at 888 chart. That's 888-992-4278. The biggest news was obviously the Federal Reserve uh, discussions out of an interview with uh, Janet Yellen, Ben Bernanke, and the current Fed chair, uh, Powell. He spoke and he basically said, we're still open to the data. You know, if the data tells us to do one thing, we're going to do one thing. Okay. And it's really up to the incoming data for the market to tell them what they're going to do next. And I know if you've watched our webinar, we talked about that central banks globally are finally not expanding their balance sheet for the first time in nearly a decade. Okay. And that is a big change, actually, in the first time in over a decade. And the fact that the Fed has talked about maybe reversing course or at least not continuing on the same path that they're on is certainly good news for the overall markets. Now, will they fall through? You know, I don't really think so. I think that the Fed, as long as the market stays relatively high levels, which, you know, after this bounce, I think that qualifies, uh, they're going to continue with QT, continue with an eventual rate hike. It's just a matter of when. And you also had some optimistic reports out of the White House on trade negotiations. But I think a lot of the damage has been done. Uh, and it's the damage hasn't really been too much to our economy, although our economy is slowing. Well, most of that has to do with liquidity uh, concerns and higher interest rates and on uh, effect on housing and other uh, industries like the auto industry, etc., most of the negative effect actually is happening in the Chinese economy. Uh, if you were on the webinar a week and a half ago, you'll, you'll you have seen that the 
retail sales growth in China is now at its lowest level in 15 years. So even lower than it was during our last recession, you know, the global financial crisis. And just businesses there in general are less optimistic. Uh, they're more concerned about trade war and, and there's been a lot of malinvestment and, and bad lending. And uh, the, the Bank of China has, has been uh, tighter with their monetary policy over the last couple of years. And so all those things add up to a tough economic picture over there. Okay, so that's really what's happening in the market. Uh, you obviously have Apple have a big drop, uh, even though I think now it's uh, everyone, everyone and it's really interesting. Nobody really talked about Apple. It was dropping and then it's finally had this big news. It didn't really get much lower than the lows uh, of the month, you know, of, of December. And every media outlet was talking about how bad Apple is doing and blah, blah, blah. Well, you're late to the game. We talk about this. Usually when it hits the news wire, you're late to this news. Uh, and actually, to me, this was a bigger indication that it was a buying opportunity as opposed to probably a lot of people saw the headlines and they sold. Right? Now, the news today was the ISM non-manufacturing number. And that, once again, reflected a loss of momentum in the economy, in the service sector. It was at 57.6 in December. In November, it was 60.7. So still growing, once again, just like our economy, but at a slower clip. Oil is bouncing, which uh, is a three-week high for oil, and I think this is a pretty decent time to be looking at oil stocks. And I think there'll be some near-term volatility this quarter, but through the balance of the year, I think oil will be a, a better place to be after, once again, a big drop, right? And everyone's probably very negative on oil, but that oftentimes, depending on the economic backdrop and you know growth and inflation conditions, uh, can be a good place to be, and I do think that is. And PG&E uh, looks like it's going to declare for Baker MC. This is a name that we missed. You know, we have owned some of this for clients. We got out of it, out of it uh, uh, sometime in November, December. I forget the exact time frame, uh, and move, moved on because uh, we thought this was eventually the the end result was bankruptcy because of how just terrible the legislation is for utilities here in California and it's really just a uh, bad bad laws bad legislation that is hurting uh, will will eventually not only hurt uh, the, the investors but mainly the people who PG&E serves those will be most affected and I think that's uh, it's a shame what else uh, Disney is moving into Netflix's territory in 2019 Samsung revealed a new 8K TV, which I think is kind of BS, uh, at this consumer electronics show in Las Vegas. Uh, those are kind of the news events so far this year. There's a lot to talk about today. But first, let's make time for a question from our Anytime listener line at 888-99-CHART. Beth in Fremont. How you doing, Beth? Good, thanks. My question is, I have uh, $10,000 and I want to invest it. Okay. to uh, make it bigger. What's the best way to do that? Do you know what ETFs, Beth, are? No, I have not. Okay. Obviously, you've heard of mutual funds, right? Yeah. So the best way for you to start would look at some no-load, no-transaction-free mutual funds. That means you don't have to pay anybody a commission or a fee to buy or sell them. Okay. And there's lots of them out there. There's just as many loaded ones, meaning ones that pay commissions, as there are no-load ones, the ones that don't pay commission. Now, the problem is if you go ask somebody, you know, a broker or somebody, I want to buy some mutual funds with this $10,000, what they're going to do is say, 
sure, here's these funds. These are really good funds. Buy these. And they're all going to be loaded funds, commissions. Okay, you don't need to do that. Commission, they usually take 5% off right off the top. 5% in the hole from the day one. I hate that. Right. Do not do that. You can buy no-load funds, and you can go to Morningstar.com, Morningstar.com, and they'll give you lists. You just go in there and say, I want no-load funds, uh, zero commissions. Make sure that that's what you have in there for the search, and they give you a bunch of them. Or if you send me an email, Beth, email at, just go to my website, vesttalk.com, hit the Contact Us button button it comes right to my desk and say i would like a list of some no load funds and i'll give you a handful of them oh great you then have to go get the prospectus and look them up you know i have to say that because that's the rules uh Uh, but i'll tell you what they do briefly and then you can just pick from there if you want to that's wonderful thank you very much thanks beth appreciate the call bye-bye Trust me, over long haul, the place to be is the stock market. You know, people tell you, well, the real estate market is better. Well, it is because you get to use leverage. Okay, you put 10%, 20% down, you get to borrow all that money, and then you you can double your money in a short period of time if the market's decent, not in the next few years, I can guarantee you that. But, well, yeah, that's because you're borrowing 80 90% of the cost. Do that in the stock market, I could beat the housing easy. Not a problem. I'd beat that. But you don't do that in the stock market. You use your cash. You don't borrow money. You rarely borrow any money. And when you do, you borrow very little. Not 80, 90% of your investment. That's the difference, everybody. The big difference. So when you have people tell you, well, the, the real estate market returns more money, well, it does cash on cash. In other words, you put 10% down and you borrow 90%. The property only has to go up 10%. You doubled your money. You made 100% return on the money you put into it because you borrowed a lot of money. Now, think about what you're doing. How much risk are you taking? Now, you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. And I hope you know that Steve Pease and I can make time to provide a no-cost portfolio review for you in person, on the phone, or via Skype, or FaceTime. And Steve will have some return. We'll be returning to San Jose on January 23rd. Space is limited, but if you register early, you can arrange a one-on-one meeting with him. And together, you will get a good assessment of your portfolio and your strategy and ways to improve your strategy. Now, we're here for you, and we're headed into a quick break, a one-minute break, and I'm taking your questions now at 888-99-CHART. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. We're going to go to Carolyn in San Diego. How are you doing, Carolyn? Hello, I'm doing well. Thank you, Steve. Steve, a question I've been wanting to ask for quite a while about diversification. I currently have trimmed my portfolio to mainly um, large cap blue chips which has generally been a good move. But I'm very aware that we are a global economy and it's important to have uh, national, international, overseas exposure. And here's my question. I'm terrible about reading annual reports. Is there a way when you have a stock such as oh, Exxon or IBM or Johnson & Johnson to figure out how much, what a percentage of exposure the company has to overseas? Oh, oh yeah. It's, very, it's actually quite easy, really. Oh, <laughs> um, and, and Carolyn, if you don't like reading those things, don't read them. But you could easily pick up the phone. Uh, it's just a phone call. Call the uh, 
uh, uh, client services, investor services, investor yeah. service department, and they'll be happy to answer that question. But is there kind of a breakdown as there would be in an EFT and an exchange fund of where their investments are, like uh, how much might be in Europe for, and or Asia or South America? Do you get do you get a feeling for that if you're trying to you get? Can't, you can't. It depends on how deep you want to go into it. But yes, they will. They all they'll know exactly. You think you kidding me? That's their business. They're going to yeah. know exactly where they are when. Yeah. It won't be in that financial statement because they're giving you more generalized. This is the overall picture. Uh-huh. But if you talk to someone, they'll 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 give you details. Well, I've gone online and you know, I have a brokerage and done you know gone to the various um, information websites that when you you when you right. key in the symbol, but I've never seen yeah. that. Uh, you know, and of course, anyway. Yeah, um, that's so, more difficult. So, that's true. That's why I suggest a phone call. Okay. Well, that's that's really good to know. Um, Thanks, Carolyn. Appreciate thank the call. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mark and Burke. How you doing, Mark? Good. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for calling. Quick question. What would you recommend investors uh, emerging market portion of the total equity? And then uh, getting back to valuations, what's the historic relative valuation between the U.S. and emerging markets? You just mentioned some P.E. levels. I'm just curious how that relates to historic average. Historically, historically, the emerging market P.E.s are much less than ours because they deserve it. Because in history, in history, they're very suspect in their numbers. Okay, so that they're, they're, they, everybody wants better numbers, you know, that in our markets. They're scary. That's changing a little bit in recent history. And Peter, I think about 20 to 30 percent should have foreign exposure in your mar, in your portfolio. 20 to 30 percent of your overall portfolio. But Mark, that does not mean you should have that much in foreign stocks. Uh, for instance, if you bought Yum Brand. And about a third of Young Brand's profits are coming from outside the United States. Well, there's the foreign exposure. Mm-hmm. That kind of exposure needs to be added into your overall exposure. Do, do you guys uh, break it down that specifically, like per company exposure, or do you have a, a rough target of your individual positions that are traded outside? The we firm? actually do yep. break it down by our individual company's exposure, and we, okay. uh, of course, we buy, we own. We own uh, ADRs, which are American Depository shares. In other words, foreign stocks that trade on our, our American exchanges, because they have to they have to report using general accounting principles like ours. So they, they have it's harder for them to cheat. They still can cheat. Yeah. <laughs> and trust me, Mark, they do cheat. But, right. Thanks. But do, you know, I I would you need to have some exposure because that's where the growth is. Growth. Appreciate the call, Mark. Thank, Thank you very you. much. You're listening to Invest Talk, everybody. I'm Steve Peasley. We want to answer your questions. Our listener line number is always ready for you, 888-99-CHART. Beginning our experience, we're here to answer your question. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888-99-CHART, 888-99-CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. That's how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Now, our main talking point today is, are the markets overestimating the risk of a recession? here in the United States. Now, many experts have scaled down their growth expectations to about 2% for GDP growth this year. But you can't say that's a recession. 
it's just a slowdown of growth. You know, we had this in the 2015-16 time frame uh, as well. Uh, the big question is, are we going to find see a repeat of a resurgence in growth that we saw in 2016 and 17? Now, a lot of this has to do with a lot of what gave the market resurgence was uh, more QE out of the ECB, uh, uh, fiscal stimulus here in the United States with tax cuts. So those uh, those backdrops are a little bit different. Uh, and the bond market uh, is telling us that this is not the same as 2015-16. The U.S. Treasury curve has flattened to 20 basis points after the latest Fed hike. And this is giving a heightened perception that we're going into some sort of recession, right? There's uh, certain parts of the yield curve have inverted. If you're looking at LIBOR, London Interbank Offer Rate, that's higher than anywhere on the, the Treasury curve. So you could say that's in inverted because there's a lot of uh, a lot of cost of capital related to LIBOR. And some have pointed to continued tightening of financial conditions uh, as a reason why we're going to recession. And I would say that's certainly true. Financial conditions have gotten tighter, but they are, I wouldn't consider them tight. Okay. Uh, the big question is, will they become tight? Uh, and remember that the economic cycle is really the credit cycle. As long as credit is easy to get, uh, companies are rolling over their debt, uh, individuals are refinancing their debt, uh, then they can typically continue to go out and spend and hire and the economy keeps humming, right? And the feeling out there in the economy is that we're not going into recession, right? Most people have jobs, unemployment rate is low. And in fact, many people are quitting their jobs to go get other ones. My cousin just quit hers. <laughs> uh, and she thinks she's going to get another job very easily. So, Clearly, people aren't seeing what the markets are seeing. Okay, uh, and the, I think the big question for me is what are what's the policy for the balance of the year from central banks? Now, if I knew what they are, if we were on the same trajectory as we are now, where the ECB is not printing anymore, the Bank of Japan's printing less, the the, the Fed is continuing with QT, uh, then balance sheets globally, central banks are, are, are falling, I think it's a pretty good likelihood that we are either near a recession by year end or you know into one early part of next year. But if the Fed pivots or central banks pivot globally and to real expanding liquidity once again, then you know I think uh, the recession is kind of off the table. And Certainly, the trade war can can change things. Uh, however, I don't think it's as big of a deal as a lot of people are making it out to be. Right? The media likes to talk about it because uh, you know it's it involves Trump, which always gives headlines, whether you like him or don't like him, uh, and it's something that will be in the headlines, I think, all year until there's some sort of resolution. And I doubt there'll be a resolution. I think what the 90-day the truce is something like 30 days in, so we have another two months to figure out whether 
there is some sort of deal and they could punt again and do another 90-day truce, right? But to me, the central bank action and whether they continue on the path that they're on will tell me whether we're going into a recession. And I think that Powell is different. Powell is not Yellen. He's not Bernanke. He has been, he was very critical of QE2, QE3, expansion of the Fed balance sheet. He, he, he saw way back then the problems that it would create in the future and it really came to pass, which was people were make, taking risks and, and allocating capital to areas that just long-term weren't sustainable. Uh, and have created a lot of excesses in our economy from mainly uh, corporate debt, uh, buybacks, things like that. And I don't see him having what used to be called the Bernanke put or the Yellen put. I don't think really there is too much of a PAL put. Uh, and if there is, I think it's a lot lower in the market than it was for Bernanke and Yellen. And so it tells me that the Fed is going to continue to sneak in a hike, to continue with QT as long as things are relatively okay, okay, until we hit some sort of a crisis. Um, and so that's why I continue to see the downside of the market being more likely than the upside this year. Now, you are listening to Invest Talk, and I'm Justin Klein. I believe that every investor should determine their own individual risk tolerance. We're all our own per people. So go to investtalk.com, take the Risk Lives Risk Questionnaire, and we'll help you out from there. Here's another benefit when you sign up for our Invest Talk Insider Program a brief list of real estate investment trusts, REITs, that should be on investors' radar if they're looking for exposure to this dividend-focused sector. You can sign up for this free InvestTalk Insider program on investtalk.com. Your typical workday can be very busy. Assignments, appointments, responsibilities, obligations. Sometimes you start early and end late. For that reason alone, you may already be looking to the future, to a period when your money, your accumulated assets are working for you and ultimately creating financial freedom. There are many voices suggesting financial planning services, but there's one company, one firm that offers a balanced variety of strategically designed investment plans. One firm that applies decades of experience to enable a client personalized collaboration. One firm that can show you how to optimize an investment portfolio that fits your lifestyle objectives and risk tolerance limitations. One firm that speaks with a clear, logical, and unbiased voice. Start with a contact call to KPP Financial or visit kppfinancial.com. Listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments though, 888 99 Chart, 888 99 CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Good afternoon, Steve and Justin. I certainly enjoy Invest Talk through the podcast that you put out every afternoon. I uh, got a quick question for you. I've heard you talk about tailoring your uh, individual portfolios for uh, risk tolerance and that you have managed portfolios. And I just wondered, based upon um, 
average risk tolerance versus aggressive versus, you know, safe, secure risk tolerance. What was the uh, performance ratios that you enjoyed in 2018? I'll listen for your answer and thank you again very much. Well, that's a, that's a tough question to, to answer. I don't really have a, a great answer because that's such a broad broad question. I mean, we can send you specifics if you're, you know, and, and I can't really speak to that on the air because of, of regulations. Uh, but what I can say is that we do have different, we have five different strategies, a couple of aggressive, uh, two that would be more moderate to moderately aggressive, and then one that's, uh, would be considered moderately conservative. Uh, and there, there's different benchmarks that you have to give each one uh, because uh, they are have different strategies uh, that are deployed in different ways and for different types of accounts as well as uh, different goals. Um, so in general, we were, I'll say this, we were more conservative throughout the year than we typically are. Uh, in all of our strategies, which means that we either had more cash or we had a uh, higher level of, of bond holdings if uh, it's a strategy that, that carries bonds. Uh, in our cover call strategy, we would sell calls that were more close to the money as opposed to farther out of the money because we wanted more hedge on the downside. Uh, we, we were in sectors that were did usually were overweight sectors that were did better throughout the year, like uh, consumer staples, um, utilities, things like that. That's where we our main focus was throughout the year, and uh, our our focus this year will be similar, uh, but with uh, with some changes, especially once we get through this first quarter. I think of the year, uh, the market will probably change its. Uh, its tune, its focus, doesn't have to, be, has to go to new highs, but uh, I think there's be different economic conditions uh, based on where we're going to be in a couple months versus where we were, you know, this time last year. So, you know, I'll just say in general, we've we've been more conservative. We were more conservative all throughout 2017 than uh, the overall market. So, you know, some, you know, outformed its, its benchmark, uh, others did not. Um, but it also depends on which benchmark you choose. So I wish I could give you specifics, uh, but that was kind of our position for most of the year. Most of it didn't work out for the first three quarters, uh, but worked out great through the fourth quarter, which was obviously a very bad month for the or bad quarter for the market, and something we kind of expected, but we expected it to be through most of the year as opposed to concentrated in the fourth quarter. I'll say that. Thanks for the call. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. You tell you get through and ask your question on today's show. We have about 20 minutes left, but it's going to go by fast, so give me a call. Let's talk a little bit about the ECRI Weekly Leading Index. This is something I follow regularly. Uh, Steve is going to, on Best Talk Academy this week, is going to talk about the economic cycle. I believe he's going to talk about this and some others, but this is one of my favorite ways to look at where the economy is headed, okay? And this is the Economic Cycle Research Institute. You can find this on their on their website. They issue uh, a number each week, every Friday. And the latest one came out on Friday the 4th. And it decreased to 142.4. 
and that was a growth rate of negative 5.3% year over year, and that is approaching a seven-year low, a seven-year low. And if you look back in history, when we get down to these levels, negative 5% or more, it becomes much a much higher likelihood that we're going to have a recession. Now, if it just touches it for a brief moment, I don't think it's the end of the world, but if it stays in these levels, then I could easily see this being a strong indication that a recession is in our future, in our near future. Recession is always in our future. It's just a matter of how close it is. Uh, and so that's that was pretty interesting to me to see that come in here uh, in the early part of it was actually it was the close of the last year so 12 28 18 they release it for a week later and they compile the data and uh, th there are a lot of factors that go into this including the the S&P so clearly the S&P has been weaker year over year the growth rate year over year is now down right from a year ago the market's lower uh, so it's it's very likely that we are at very I and mean, we knew we were heading for a slowdown in the economy we knew that that's not news right but what is news is that it is slowing to the rate the leading indicators are slowing to a rate that is showing that we are we are edging on the next recession okay now this happened back in people are going to say well this happened back in 2010, 2011, 2014, 15. And what I would say is, yeah, what did the what did the central banks do? Well, QE2 happened, QE3 happened, the ECB uh, QE program happened. All of these things happened to re-inject liquidity into the system, re-inject lending and borrowing and spending and more economic activity. And that's why I said earlier in the program, a lot of what I think happens for the rest of the year predicates on what our central bank's doing. Are they going to continue on this path of normalization, of reduction of balance sheets? Are they going to continue to reduce liquidity every every day, basically, right? Because the, the Fed, I, I talked about this, I believe, before Christmas, was that based on their Fed's own study, that every $50 billion, sorry, $200 billion in balance sheet runoff is like one Fed rate hike. I can go back into the numbers. That's basically what it means. So right now we're at $50 billion a month. So that means every four months is going to be one Fed rate hike. So the Fed, so for this balance of this year, are expected to be an automatic pilot for three rate hikes. The equivalent of three rate hikes. Now, last year you could argue we had four rate hikes plus balance sheet unwind. That was closer to six rate hikes, right? Because they've ramped that uh, that balance sheet reduction out throughout the year. So, this leading indicator uh, series is telling me we are on the cusp of a recession, and unless the central banks reverse, we're likely going to have one. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. Now we stream and broadcast Invest Talk live on the four o'clock hour Pacific time each weekday. Our podcast is also available 24-7 via our archive podcast at investtalk.com. I hope you'll tell your friends and family members about Invest Talk and please let them know that they can listen anytime by clicking on the podcast links at investtalk.com. And now the lines are open. 
We are trying. We are taking your finance and investing questions live at eight 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 ninety nine chart. This is Invest Talk, and Steve Peasley is returning to San Jose to meet with Invest Talk listeners that understand the value of receiving a free portfolio review from Steve. Mark your calendar, Wednesday, January 23rd. If you live anywhere in Northern California, you should reserve your space for a no-cost portfolio review consultation. Steve will analyze your portfolio's strengths and weaknesses so that you can start 2019 with a much better chance of building a comfortable financial future. Register now at investtalk.com. Okay, you've got finance and investment questions. Justin is here and you can get his unbiased answers. Call now, 888-99-CHART. Okay, remember, we love beginner questions, so we welcome your question at 888-99-CHART. Now, what is the question? Steve, I got a question for an income portfolio, okay. uh, part of it, preferred stocks. Yes. You get them for five and a half, six, six and a half percent. Yeah. Yep. What yeah. do you think? What's your idea? I-, I like it. If you're looking for income, income, everybody, now that's what George said. He's talking about an income portfolio. He's looking for income coming into his portfolio. You can buy some really good stocks, preferred stocks, really good companies, and buy their preferred. And a preferred stock, in case you're not aware of it, you have the, you have the common shares and the preferred shares. Not every company has preferreds. Preferreds are stocks that act like bonds. Okay, They pay a dividend yield. So your preferred, your yield is pretty safe. Now, there are different kinds of preferreds, George, and you probably know that. Convertible preferreds, you probably, I don't know if you've gotten those. That's when they can convert to a common stock if, if they go to a certain price. What happens, everybody, is George is going to collect his 5, 6, 7%, whatever the yield is, on the preferred stock. And if the stock value goes up on that preferred, he may also get capital gains. It does not, though, go up like the common stock. It doesn't go up in lockstep, no. Are down in lockstep for that matter. They don't don't. They're, they're more stable, I would say. George, I kind of like the idea as long as you buy an underlying company that's very strong. That's what I'm looking for. Okay, George. Thank you. Thank you for the call, Maury and Milpitas. I just have a general question. I'm kind of reading the you know financial sections and listening on the news, and they say you need a million dollars to retire now. Yeah. And also another comment that most people are underinvested. So yes. let's say there's no way you're going to have a million dollars for retirement with the way things are going. It's pretty hard to increase it. Should you then invest in riskier stocks to increase your possible reward to get to a million dollars or what? No, not necessarily. Uh, always reverts back to what is your age? How close are you to retirement? This is my fear in that scenario, Maury. Let's say you only have seven more years or 10 more years, okay? And you know you only have a couple hundred thousand dollars. And you're going to say, well, you know what? I don't have enough money. I, I won't have enough money in retirement. So you go out and take more and more and more risk. And you're getting older and you're taking more risk. You're getting older, more risk, older, more risk. Only one major mistake and you're wiped out. You do not do that. You do just the opposite. I'm worried that people will do just that. They're taking more risk as they get older because they haven't been saving enough young enough. But you really shouldn't do that. What that means, Maury, is that you're just not going to be able to retire at the age you want to retire. I see. You take less risk as you approach retirement. 
But if you have lots of money, you can take as much risk as you want. But I'm just saying that if you're the average guy out there, and this is the money for retirement, as you approach retirement, you should always have some exposure to the stock market. But at a certain point in your life, you're going to say, you know what, I can't take risk with this money. I'm going to need it. So the penalty for underinvesting is that you're going to have to work longer. Correct. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Okay. Appreciate the call. 888-99-CHARTER is our number, 888-992-4278. Now, although we are having a slowing economy, bankruptcy courts remain pretty quiet. Uh, Corporate and consumer bankruptcy filings are at the lowest point in pretty much since the financial crisis. September 2010, court statistics showed 1.6 million bankruptcy petitions were filed. And that was the peak of the financial crisis. And now, in as of September 2018, there were more than 770,000 cases. So less than half uh, last year. And this is a good thing, but it's also a bad thing. Because there's, there's not, not only are things likely to go higher, right? Uh, usually people say, oh, well, the consumer's very confident. Well, usually consumer confidence peaks right before a recession. And same with bankruptcy cases. They usually trough right before a recession. But today's cases are, are a little bit different than uh, in the past. One is the fact that the cost to file bankruptcy with lawyers is going up. So there's that, right? Because there's just not as many uh, lawyers out there. They might be focusing on other things. And the cost to file it is anywhere from two to three thousand dollars, and people who are having financial trouble just don't have that money. Okay, now older Americans are also filing bankruptcy at higher rates than normal. Why? Because they have too little of income, or they haven't saved enough for retirement, and healthcare costs can be very expensive once you hit retirement. And a lot of times, people don't have anything to protect, so less people are filing because of that. Also, more people that have debt are younger people, and that debt is student debt. And guess what? Student debt can't be wiped out in bankruptcy. And because the fact that they have a lot of student debt, they haven't piled on credit card debt and all this other type of debt because they've been focused on servicing this student debt. So if all you have is student debt, there's no point in filing bankruptcy because... It's not, the court's not going to wipe it out or give you any type of uh, relief there. Okay. Also, the Affordable Care Act that has allowed less people to be bankrupt by medical bills, which you could argue is a good thing, but that's another reason why they're actually lower than has been in history. Now, typically, the bankruptcies follow debt to income ratios. And despite record levels of credit card debt, households are still in a better position position to pay off their debts than they were during the recession. So, um, you know, because they have jobs, the interest on those uh, loans are lower than, than typical, uh, lower than average. And that's, been a, that, that's one of the reasons why people aren't filing for bankruptcy. However... In December, if you talk to, this is somebody who's reporting and talking to bankruptcy lawyers, they said they're now the busiest they've been in many, many years. So it sounds like, anecdotally at least, 
that bankruptcies are starting to pick up. People are starting to fall or fall in harder times. Uh, part of that could be the oil patch, right? Oil prices are very low. Uh, demand there and, and production is falling and layoffs are probably increasing. And you're seeing that actually in the data. So you're seeing an economy that is weakening, a housing and a uh, job market that is also weakening. So I see bankruptcies rising. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We're winding down. Give me a call. 888-99-CHART. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99 Chart, 888 99 C H A R T, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Okay, let's go to Jay and Cupertino. Hi there, Jay. Uh, good. I got a question on the, uh, the technical analysis uh, software package out there. Uh, you know, like I saw the Metastock uh, demo a couple of weeks ago. So I just wanted to get your comment on if you're using Metastock or any package like that, which can, you know, uh, uh, with the real-time data can, you know, you can, uh, can with a lot of oscillator built in uh-huh. and can generate mm-hmm. a buy or sell signals like that. I will tell you this, Jay. We do use a technical analysis program called VanceGit by eSignal, but it doesn't give you buy and sell signals. My experience with buying things like Metastock, TC2000, and there's several others out there. The signals, to me, are always great looking back, but are not very good looking forward. You know, they'll say, oh, you should have bought it here, and it would have went up. Yeah, well, but you didn't tell me then to buy it there. You know, I find, Jay, that they don't work very good. I know some of those programs, when it says to sell, that's probably when you should think about buying. And when it says to buy, it's probably when you should think about selling because they switch at the tops and bottoms. They have a buy signal when it runs up for a while, then they buy. They have a buy signal because it's run up for a while. They think it's going to run up forever. Not in this market, it doesn't. Then when it runs down, they have a sell signal because it's coming down. Then all of a sudden, it switched the other way. It's pretty difficult. Be very careful, Jay. There's nothing wrong with them because they give you a lot of information, oscillators, advanced decline lines, all kinds of studies. And if you get good at it, you won't need them. You'll do it yourself. Robert, San Diego. How are you doing, Robert? Thank you. One quick question. Growth rate, earnings rate, future earnings rate, or earnings times growth rate. Is it sales growth rate? No. You want to use earnings growth rate first. Then look at the sales growth rate. Because you can't have your earnings growth rate keep going up when sales is not. So you can't ignore sales, but I would like you to use the earnings growth rate to come up with a calculation. But if you see the earnings going up 20% and the sales going flat, then that 20% is probably not sustainable and you don't want to use it. And how would that vary if you were to use, say, forward earnings or projected earnings versus a forward PE to figure the value of stock. Okay, I, I generally do it both ways. Forward PE and forward sales and growth. Okay, growth of earnings, growth of sales, and then I also use the five-year PE range, low and high. What it does, Robert, is try to give you a box. Okay, this is about where you think it should go. This is a quick and dirty way to evaluate something, you know, to get a future value price of a stock. Excellent. You're a fan of information. Thank you. Thanks, Robert. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. How to value a stock. Also, Robert, I'll just tell you real quick. My formula, it's earnings growth times next next year's growth rate times next year's earnings per share, only works really good on the mid-sized type of companies. 
mid-sized. Not really good on the really small ones and not really good on the really big ones. Why? Because the really small ones grow very, very fast, or should be, and the really big ones grow pretty slow. So using that formula messes you up. It doesn't work as well. 888.99 chart, 888.992-4278. Let's talk a little bit about 2008. Sorry, not 2008, 2018. <laughs> we just finished 2018, and it was a year where the S&P was negative for the first time in a decade. But most other foreign markets were much worse. China, uh, Europe, most of Europe, uh, you know, you could say we had a bad year in our markets, but this was something that was ongoing in foreign markets for a long, long time, for most, almost all the year, right? I talked about earlier how most of ours was just the end of the year, the last uh, three months. It was far worse than that for most of the, the year in foreign markets and, and because of shrinking liquidity. Right? When liquidity starts to dry up, it starts to affect foreign markets the most. Why? Because we're on a dollar global system. The dollar is the global reserve currency, and therefore when liquidity is tight, money flies to the dollar and away from other currencies, uh, it, and, and that buoys more money going into dollar-denominated assets like U.S. stocks. Now, what you could say is that bad returns imply better returns for the future, and that's certainly true. Uh, but it, and vice versa, you know, you can talk of, you can look at that one-year time frame, or you can look at a ten-year time frame. And to me, this is the start. This is the beginning of an environment, a stock environment, and an asset environment that's going to be more choppy, more sideways, less trending, and a lot more difficult to make money in. So you need to be on your game when it comes to picking great investments, having the right strategy, because indexing will not work for the foreseeable future. I'm Justin Klein, and this completes another Invest Talk program, and I thank you for your loyal support and questions. Steve will be here tomorrow. Have a nice evening, and good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein chief executive officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.